Uh, so we're going to take a brief break and think about the growth of the early church. We're talking about the church that grows this morning. Uh, the reading is the, basically forms the outline of what we're going to be talking about in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I'll read it again, and this will be sort of as we go, we're going to walk through this sermon, or not sermon, this uh, scripture in this sermon, as we think about how the early church grew. What, what made it so that they grew so fast? We have, of course, Peter's first sermon on Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, and then just thousands of people are being added all the time, and this, of course, persists in, in perpetual growth. How did they do it? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And here's the point, right? This is what we're going for. As we think about the work of the church, not just in, in the first century in Acts chapter 2, but really the church anywhere at any time in all history, this is the goal. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the point. This is what we want to achieve. How did they achieve it? And we're going to think about five five things this morning. You think five. Oh, it's going to be such a long sermon. I promise it won't be. We're going to think about five things from this text in Acts chapter 2 that we could do. Now, some of these things we can't do, right? We're not doing the signs and the wonders. That's probably not going to be happening to us. But thinking about five things that they showed as a model of church growth that persisted into Acts chapter 4. We see similar things in Acts chapter 4. We'll look at some of that. And as we continue in Acts, as we, as we continue as the church expands, and, and really a problem of scale begins to emerge as the church grows throughout the first century. But these things that can happen in any place that the church exists. Five things. First of all, the church that grows likes studying God's Word. Now, they didn't have the Bible. I have like studying the Bible up here because that's how it is for us, right? They didn't have, quote-unquote, the Bible. They had the Old Testament, right? They had the gatherings of the Old Testament that was all collected. Uh, they didn't have the New Testament yet in Acts chapter 2 because the New Testament didn't exist because it was still being, you know, given. But what did they did? What did they have? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is essentially what we're thinking about here. We're, we want to study the Bible. We want to study God's Word. That's what we're doing. We're studying their teaching. John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine. The Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Again, that's the goal we're, we're going for. Bearing fruit fruit the Lord added to the number every day those who are being saved already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me what was necessary for, uh, for bearing fruit was abiding in him what was the thing that cleansed them the word that he spoke to them the church that grows devotes itself to their teaching, which was not theirs. It was whose? It was Jesus' teaching. John 17, 15 through 17. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. This word sanctify is to make holy to set apart for a sacred purpose, to make sacred. And he says it, right? 
Don't take them out of the world. They have to be in the world, but they're still going to be separate. They're still going to be sacred. They're still going to be set apart as they're in the world. How? Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That was how they knew what they needed to do, right? From the very beginning in Acts chapter 2. This sermon that goes all the way through, and he ends, of course, with the famous line, He has made him both Lord and Christ, as Jesus whom he crucified. Oh, what shall we do? And then Peter continues to tell them what to do. And then they're devoted to the apostles' teaching, because now what? Okay, I've accepted Jesus. I've, I've, I've submitted to his lordship. I've been immersed into him. What now? Well, that's what they were telling them. And for us, what now? Well, that's what we study to discover what does God want for us? How can we be sanctified in his word? The church that grows likes studying the Bible because that's how we abide in Jesus, because that's how we're sanctified. We are supposed to be devoted to that teaching. Hopefully we are. The second thing, the church that grows is enthusiastic about worshiping God. Now, I could have picked a number of different words. Is excited? Is devoted to? The word that's used in, in, in the Acts chapter 2, devoted, is excited, is devoted, uh, likes to. But I chose the word enthusiastic very intentionally here. As we think about in the first century what was going on, Acts 2.42, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And then else to what else? To the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Well, these are all the things that we're doing, right? There's teaching, there's fellowship, there's breaking of bread, there's prayers. Hooray for us. Hopefully, we're devoted to that. And hopefully, it's something that we can be enthusiastic about. Not just something, though, the opposite of that would be sort of the obligatory worship. That we sort of just show up and we drag ourselves out of bed. What did Bob say? He was wretched this morning. I felt wretched this morning. You, you wake up, your alarm goes off. And, and maybe your first thought is... Your alarm goes off and you just want to chuck it against the wall because, you know, nobody wants to be awake. Except today, above all days, you are waking up not to go back to work, but to go worship, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Today, above any other day of the week, there should be some excitement that we got to get up to go spend time in worship with other Christians. I hope that was your attitude. Now, of course, in the first moment, we're all hating the world. We understand that. But as we think about what we get to do today, as we think about what we're doing right now, as we think about the, the, the privilege of being together in worship, I hope there's some enthusiasm. And here's the point. Don't you think people who show up Maybe there's visitors in the crowd today. I hope this isn't the thing that you're seeing. People come, they come here, they visit, and they look around, and they can tell if you're bored. They can tell if you don't like what you're doing. They can tell if you're not enthusiastic about what's going on here. And if you're not enthusiastic, you're a member. If you're not enthusiastic, why would they? Why would they want to stay and hang around? If they look around and they see that we're sort of, ugh. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Pause there. The, the contrast between getting drunk with wine and then filled with the Spirit is the outpouring, right? You're drunk with wine, and then that leads to debauchery. 
as opposed to being filled with the Spirit. What's the natural result if you're filled with the Spirit? If you just have so much of the Spirit that you just can't help it, what? You, the outpouring of that is addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody of the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can worship as sort of a, just sort of a thing that we do, and we talked about this in our class this morning, sort of the rote habit of worship, or we can worship because it is the natural outpouring of the state in which we find ourselves being filled with the Spirit. And if worship is drudgery to you, might I suggest that you may not be filled with the Spirit. And people will notice. Hebrews 12, 28, we can think about this in the thanksgiving attitude, or we can think about it in the more serious attitude. Therefore, let us be grateful, receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's the church, right? Thinking about the church, the kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Hopefully, you were excited about coming here today, and hopefully, as we've engaged in this, there's been some reverence and awe. And awe fell upon every soul in Acts chapter 2. Awe fell upon every soul because of what God was doing in their midst. What's God doing in our midst? And what should that lead us to? Reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. A little bit of a threat in that, but also a little bit of majesty, right? The consuming fire that is Yahweh. The church that grows is enthusiastic about worship. Third thing. The church that grows spends time together outside of the assembly. In the first century, how did this manifest? Acts 2.46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. It wasn't just in the home. It wasn't just in the temple. Now, they obviously, you can think about how this was going. Uh, they are all converted, not all of them. A lot of them are converted in Acts chapter 2, right? They have this great outpouring of, of conversions that everybody's repenting and they're, they're immersed and there's growing and everything exciting. And then the day after Pentecost, what happens? I've been converted. I was there. This awesome thing happened. You wake up the next morning and what did it clearly seem like they wanted to do? They wanted to go back and spend time with more Christians. Right? It seems like that's what they wanted to do, at least to me. So day by day, after the day of Pentecost, you're converted, you're, you're what? What's next? You go back to the temple. I got to learn more. I, I want to learn more about what's happening. You break bread in your homes. I've got this new family, this new group of people that believes what I believe, that, that is now my new family. And, and I, I wake up the next morning, I don't want to just be separated from them, but I want to go back and spend more time with them. Acts 6, 1, we see this. Now, I've used Acts 6 in the past as sort of a negative. I want to highlight here the positive. Now, in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Some negative stuff happening, but I want to note the implied positive here. The implied positive is twofold. Number one, they were thinking about a daily distribution, which means what? They were thinking about each other daily. Okay, who are, who are we going to help day by day? Not just one day a week, but hey, there's some people in our midst, there's some people in our new family that they need attention every day. It's not just one day a week, but we're going to think about them daily. And then the second thing, a complaint by the Hellenists arose, which means what? They were together enough to complain. Somebody was around them to hear their complaint. Now, they didn't do it perfectly, but they were at least attempting 
to spend time together every day in some capacity, to encourage, to help, to provide, not just one day a week, but whenever there was need. Hebrews 3, 12 through 13. Take care, brothers, lest in, you there be, uh, lest in any of you there be an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of, of sin. For us, this is relatively easy. For them, you think about how this would have been if you didn't have a phone or a car. You got to exhort one another daily, which means if I want to exhort you and I don't have a telephone, what do I have to do? I have to walk to your house, right? That's what I have to do. Or we have to meet in the temple, right? In Acts chapter 2, they were meeting together in the, in the common space. One of those two things had to have been happening. Either they were getting together every day so they could exhort one another, or they were gathering in some sort of public space every day to exhort one another. For us, we have this little device right here. Look at this thing. This both horrible, cursed object, but also a source of great blessing. Because how much effort does it take you to exhort one another every day? Boop, boop, boop. That's it, right? You could do that. Do we, though? We have every, every possible ease to spend some amount of energy every day connecting with one another. Might I suggest, though, that we don't use our phones as excuses to not see each other face to face. Because that's what they were doing, right? They were spending time every day together. The church that grows, number four, helps people. We already see it in Acts chapter 6, right? They were having this daily distribution that was a, a means of helping one another. We see it in Acts chapter 2, verse 45. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds as all, uh, to all as any had need. You've got this giant group that is growing. Now, part of the problem in Acts chapter 2 was people had come for the day of Pentecost and they sort of stuck around a while because, you know, many of them were thinking Jesus is going to retire at any moment, so we might as well just hang out here. We're all just hanging out together. And the longer that goes on, right, people have traveled from all these different places. In Acts chapter 2, there's this long list of, of places where people have traveled from, and they've traveled from these different places and they're just sort of hanging out in Jerusalem and, and as time goes on, oh, we just did it for a week. If we had traveled to New Mexico for a week, we had the stuff we brought, but then Tracy and I, if we stay there for another week and a week and a week and a week, eventually we're going to start needing some stuff, right? And that's what happens here. There's some, some things that need to be done. Although I will say it suggests in Acts chapter 6, that's not just the people that have traveled, that's the people that live in Jerusalem, the widows who need help, who have needed help for a while now, and they're continuing to help one another. Mark 10 verse 20, he said to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. This, of course, he's asked him, what do I need to do to be saved? And, you know, he says, you know, these, the different laws that you've needed to follow. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Interesting phrase in here. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. He loved him. He thought about him what he needed to be saved. This love that he shared for this man led him to say what? Follow me. Sell all you have, give to the poor. Come follow me. 1 John 3.17, we read this in class. This was sort of coincidental. 
If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. One of the things that helped the early church grow is that it was obvious that if you were part of the group, you would get help. Because they were helping one another so much. And that helped the church grow. Now, all these first four things, right? Like studying God's word, enthusiastic about worship, spends time together outside of worship, helps people, leads into the last one here, which is that the church that grows has a good reputation in the community. We see this in chapter 2, verse 47, that they were praising God and having favor with all of the people, all the people around. Now, it's interesting as you go through Acts chapter, the earliest chapters of Acts, you have this group, there's signs and wonders being done, they're devoting themselves to the teaching, the fellowship, they're spending time together, they're helping one another, and, and, and it, it seems clear that people were excited about it. Ooh, look at this new group here in Jerusalem. What's going on? Let's go check it out. Let's go see what's happening. And people are being converted. But it doesn't take very long before people start to join just because they want the benefits of it, right? And then we get to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They sell some land and they give part of the money to the church, not all of it. Peter doesn't get mad that they didn't give all the money. He gets mad that they lied about it, right? They wanted to be a part of this movement to have the, the glory of being part of this movement without being fully invested in it. And so, you know, Peter says, you've lied not to men, but to the Holy Spirit. They're struck dead. And then something interesting happens. Acts 5.13. None of the rest dared to join them. Why? Because Ananias and Sapphira have just been struck dead. What does that mean? There's some serious consequences to joining this group. That if you're going to join this new group, you got to be all in. Can't just be sort of halfway committed. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Even though they knew that there was some serious weight to the decision to join this new group, the group of Christians that, that had been growing, and they, they saw the death of Ananias and Sapphira and like, eh, not for me. I'm not going to be that committed. But they still held the church in high esteem. They still thought well of the early Christians. And some of them then did, more and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Even though there was a sort of a, a tampering on the sort of fake believer, the sort of halfway believer, because they were devoted to their ideals, because they were consistent, because they were helping one another, because they were truly invested in each other's lives, it was obvious to everyone who saw that this was a group worth being a part of. And even if you saw what happened with Ananias and Sapphira and you thought, ooh, uh, that's, uh, that's a little too much for me, you still understood that this new group, this early church, was something worth having high esteem for. There was something awesome happening here. Which is why way later, towards the end of the New Testament, we see this command in 1 Timothy 3.6. Thinking of those who would lead the church in the next generation, one of the important qualifications for those men, he must not be a recent convert who may be puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be, thought well, be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. It was so important the church have a good reputation that it was a prerequisite for those who would lead the church. 
that the community, those who were outside the church, had, a good, had good thoughts of those who were leading it. Because again, what's the point? The point is that the church will grow. And if the church is going to grow, who's going to be joining? Well, it's going to be the outsiders. There's a lot of things we do. Sometimes people ask me about some of the stuff we do at church here at Dewey. There's a lot of things we do simply because it helps us be well thought of by outsiders. And that's enough. Because that's one of these pillars of church growth. Not the only one. And we should note, of course, that all of these feed into and off of one another. You can't have just one or just four or just three of these things. We're trying to have all of these characteristics that we as a church like studying God's Word. We have so many Bible studies throughout the week. So many opportunities for you to be a part of studying God's Word. I hope you'll take advantage of that. The church is enthusiastic about worshiping God. I hope if you've been here today, you've seen that. There's been some enthusiasm. I really, we, we really got some, some uh, fast-moving songs. I appreciated Greg. But that last song, especially the last song before uh, I got up here to preach, Hallelujah, Praise Jehovah. I don't know about you, but I was really feeling it. It just, very, just felt really awe. I think there was a sense of awe as we sang that song together. Because he is worthy of that praise. The church that grows spends time together outside the worship assembly. So, you know, we're going to all go home after this Sunday. But, you know, Monday through Saturday, I hope we're, we're connecting with one another. Spending time with each other. In large part to help, and not help each other, right? We need to be helping people. That's this, the fourth thing here. But also to encourage, to exhort, to just be closer together. And all of those put together, I think, leads us to having this good reputation in the community that people see that we are true to our convictions, that we stand for something, that we care about something, that we're interested in each other's lives, that we, we're energetic about what's going on here. And then, of course, all of these feed into hopefully a church that grows. We'll end with Galatians 6, 8 through 10. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Sowing to the flesh is a church that doesn't have these things, right? A church that doesn't really care about truth. A church that sort of just shows up to worship. A church that just does their own thing throughout the week. A church that is very only interested in selfish things. That's the church that sows to the flesh. Sowing to the Spirit is caring about God's truth helping one another, being interested in each other's lives, being enthusiastic about worship, that's sowing to the Spirit. And from the Spirit, then we will reap what? Eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if, that big word if, the smallest word but so big, if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially those who are of the household of faith. I want to be part, I know you do too, I want to be part of a church that grows. Which means that we have to spend some time thinking about how we're doing. Are we doing these kinds of things? Do we have these characteristics? I hope we do. 
We always want to keep open lines of communication, right? How are we doing? We're, there needs to be opportunity for examination, reflection. And if we're not doing very well at one or more of these things, then some changes need to be made. But we understand that's okay, right? We need to keep going, to not grow weary of doing good, to not give up. The temptation is we see that there's not a lot of growth happening and, and maybe there's one or more things that we need to do better. There's always stuff that we could do better. The temptation is, though, if we don't see that growth that we just sort of, well, we give up. But God has promised that we will reap if we continue to sow to the Spirit. And so we offer the invitation. An invitation, I hope, to grow from one of two perspectives. Maybe you're here today and you've never been a part of the church, you've never been saved. The opportunity to grow into Christ, to be united with Him in immersion, to repent, to confess. We know what needs to be done there. But maybe you're here today and you're feeling stagnant. You're feeling apathetic or complacent like we talked about in Bible class. You don't feel like there's a lot of personal growth going on. The invitation is to come get the help you need so that we can help you in that process of growth. Come while we stand and sing.